This is Any Given Funday, hosted by Joey and Ray, exclusively on 1045theteam.com. All right, uh, welcome everybody again to another episode here of Any Given Funday. Um, I'm lucky enough to have uh, the Indiana Pacers reporter from The Athletic and the host of the Pacers podcast, uh, Fieldhouse Files, uh, Scott Agnes. And that's on Twitter. That's at Scott, S-C-O-T-T-A-G-N-E-S-S. Hey, uh, Scott, what's going on, man? Not too much, Joey. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Um, you had a crazy weekend, I guess, right out there in Chicago. How you feeling? Better. Yeah, those that had listened to my last podcast on the Fieldhouse Files, I tried to do it a little bit different. You know, go around and kind of take people through the weekend along with interviews. And I'm not going to lie, I had to record it several different times. I had to delete all these coughs. Um, it, w- it was tough. And I'm not to complain about the cold. It wasn't the cold necessarily that got me in Chicago. I'm in Indiana. It's not quite that bad here. But the wind and the, the thinness of the air, that zapped me. And then, of course, the lack of sleep never helps anyone. Yeah, that's nasty weather. I mean, I can't, I can't vouch for you. I've never been out to Chicago. But I was out in Indianapolis like two weeks ago, and it wasn't that bad. So I bet it's good to be home and, and all that. But, uh, Scott, I'll, I'll start off with a question for you. Uh, take us through a day in your life of covering the Pacers uh, for the Athletic. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I really like about it is that it's it's not the same every single day. And um, a typical day for me will involve waking up, obviously looking at my phone like anybody else first thing in the morning. And that's to see if there was any texts or emails I didn't wake up to. I am one of those that puts it right next to me in bed because I don't want to miss anything, whether it's not even a scoop, just the most important story or something going on in the day and then you catch up on Twitter a little bit, get up, uh, move over to my desk. And the nice thing about working at the athletic is you don't have an office. So not only do you have um, no hours specific, right, but you don't have a desk. So you work at home and it gives you that freedom to work anywhere, coffee shop or what have you. So I'll, I'll go to my desk and start thinking ahead to what I need to get accomplished for the day. Maybe it's that story's day or it's a story, a bigger picture feature that I'm working on um, for the next couple of days. And one of the big things that I use on my iPhone and MacBook, of of course, is the reminders, um, which is basically a list that I can use of probably 30, 40 different stories ongoing, because I don't want to, um, just always have to think of something. There's long thought out pieces, um, maybe a profile of an executive I haven't gotten to, or it comes down to a a piece that I want to do with this, as soon as this weekend, and that's the Pacers changing their mind about zone and playing some zone here, including the last couple of games going into the all-star break. And so and then you kind of plan out how I want to attack that story, the key people I need to talk to um, for that event. The Pacers normally have their media availability generally at about 12.15 to about 1 on most practice days. So then you attack that how I need to. Um, and then the rest of the day is kind of spent both writing the story, maybe working on another story, um, and then just connecting with context throughout the league, whether that's um, fellow writers, whether that's um, you know agents, whether that's executives, basically anyone has a, an influence on the league you're always trying to connect with. And um, then that leads into the, the writing process. And, of course, being at the athletic, the good and the bad is you don't have a deadline. Um, while it's nice as you're not jamming a story in or forced to get it right after a buzzer, I really appreciate the fact that you can take the time with it. And I've had times where I tell my ed- editor I don't exactly like where it's at at this point. He's like, you know what, take another day, 
get it right, make that one more phone call, maybe follow up with that other source. Let's make sure we get the story uh, more well-rounded and exactly to your liking. Um, so that's what I really appreciate is we don't have to take the shortcuts or, or be on a deadline, which we all, I think, in this field appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we really appreciate you taking your time with the articles as Pacer fans and as a Pacer fan myself. Um, we, you know, we really appreciate that, and we think your, uh, your work's great. Um, you did mention a little bit uh, before about the All-Star Game and how you cover the All-Star Game in Chicago. And just kind of wanted to touch on a few things regarding the All-Star Game. Um, one, uh, what, were the, what were the thoughts this weekend? Um, what were some of the elements of the weekend that you believe we will see again next year? Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, Indy 2021. Yeah, so I think we'll we'll see most of what we saw this past weekend in, in the future game, and specifically the thing that jumps out, of course, is the Elam ending, right? The fourth quarter where it's not timed. And my only gripe with the whole thing here, as the guy that wants things perfectly right, completely accurate, is that the stats in terms of the minutes are completely thrown off. For example, a guy I covered, Ivana Sabonis, he did not play 19 minutes in that All-Star game. It was more like 10. But because he started the fourth quarter, they have him playing all 12 minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, so th that's the only thing, honestly, that drives me nuts. I thought it went over very well. There was a lot of people um, that did not understand maybe the, the element and thought the math maybe was too hard. But then in turn, once it was done and there was a target score, kind of understood how successful this was because what it ultimately did was make the game competitive and more than that though joey i think the biggest thing that influenced the game was the nba's decision to provide free tickets to these kids courtside probably for an entire two sections about 20 rows up so you're probably talking just my estimate 200 kids in the building, maybe 100 for Team Giannis and 100 for Team LeBron, and they had their T-shirts colored that way, and it even said that. And the reason I like this, this goes all the way back to the preseason, and that's a, a good reason to try things in the preseason. Pacers were playing the Kings in India. Unfortunately, I didn't make the trip, or my colleague Sam Amick did. But mm -hmm. the one thing I remember, they played Friday and Saturday. I think it was the Friday night game, the first game. The only fans in the stands were kids from local schools and such. And the game had no feeling of a preseason because the kids were cheering. They were loud. They were active. And guys were diving on the floor. I remember the Pacers having to call a timeout and using a late game ATO to, to draw up a play and get a stop. Those sorts of things. That changed the game from a meaningless one to, to one guys really took seriously. And so I thought that was a big influence on the game in addition to uh, there being a money prize, of course, because how could these guys, you know, jog down half court or, or take a possession off when, you know, maybe one score would mean $100,000. Maybe that's their budget for Team Giannis or Team LeBron, that school, that charity. So I thought that went over very well. Um, I really like the dunk contest and, and the skills challenge as well. I think the biggest thing in all of it that succeeded was it all came down to the final, final play, the final shot. And so we always like that. No, that was it was very different um, as fans. I know I appreciated it. I thought it was fun to see the the arguably the 24 best players in the league um, go out there and really battle it out and, you know, complain to the refs and stuff like that. It was it was it was fun to see. Um, 
That was that was one of the things yeah. you had to laugh at, right? You have three oh, officials. Crazy. They crazy. they think this is probably they just need to walk up and down the floor, look official. Like they're not calling delay a game, they're not calling illegal touching, they're not calling traveling. And in late game situation, you have guys taking charges. You have guys fighting for calls. It was it was humorous, but also kind of cool to see. Man, what a Kyle Lowry. I I just I can't I can't think when I just think of charges and stuff. There's Kyle pops right in my head, and just the the charge he took and stuff. He is just. The most fierce competitor wherever you put him. Just had me giggling. Um, but building off this whole this whole All-Star weekend and stuff like that, um, one thing I want to touch on too is what was if you could change the dunk contest at all and how that, you know, how the scoring went down and how it ended, is there anything you, you would personally change or is it just kind of like a fluke thing where it was two spectacular dunkers just going back and forth and we didn't know when to end it? No, I think you, you can make a, a small tweak um, just because – the, the scoring situation is, is something I think you have to get correct um, at the end because it's not fair to a guy like Aaron Gordon, who we all think has, has won at least two times um, when he's participated in this whole event. I think what you do for one is only include those that have played the game. Um, so you don't need, you know, Chadwick Boswick, uh, who, who I don't even watch movies, so I yeah, wasn't even exactly sure who that was, <laughs> honestly, until people were like, oh, yeah, that's Black Panther. I was like, Oh, yeah, that's the guy Vic pretended to be on Halloween in New York. That's what immediately came to mind for me. And um, not a shot at his talent. I'm sure he's talented. But what I would do, it doesn't necessarily need to be active or not players. um, But I think you need to have guys that understand how challenging a dunk is. And then I also think you have to remove as much bias as you can. So, for example, um, while it was cool to have Dwayne Wade in there. Oh, I knew it. You it's tough it. to have a guy that is a diehard Miami Heat guy when there is a guy from the Heat in the field. And, and that's true for anyone, whether, um, you know, whatever it is. That's something I think you can remove in all that. So you have people that have done it. They understand the difficulties in the dunk and then also try to remove bias as much as you can. Sure. I mean, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not downgrading it at all or anything, but it was and, tough and to see. One other thing, to that end, I think they need to – we can't normalize scoring anymore. Not every one of those dunks, as good as it was, could be a 50. Like, a very good dunk should be a 44. It just wasn't perfect. It just didn't jump out at you, and that's perfectly fine. I'm not sure a 44 was given all all, um, the entire night. um, I think the lowest one was like a 45. Yeah, so that would be the other thing. I think everybody was so worried about getting the score as close to perfect – Four, you know, two nines and that's it. And then that's looked down upon. No, it's not. These ducks are dunks are incredibly difficult. And we want to encourage them to do uh, dunks outside the box. But then when you set the, the what's the what's the threshold for a 50? Then, you know, the, the guys are going to be doing, you know, triple, triple backflips in, in midair. To, you know, you know, <laughs> no, you know, no, no, I think we saw what I'm saying is I think we saw a couple of 50s. Yeah. But just estimating it felt like 10 were given out when maybe there should have been about four of them. Right. Throughout the whole night. Agreed. Agreed. But um, so now that we're moving past Chicago, uh, we're looking forward to Indianapolis next year. Is there anything that you expect um, from the city, just like changes, just things that we should expect or that I know you talked with uh, Miles uh, on your last podcast, too, about, you know, the expectations for this upcoming uh, All-Star game now. Um, what are you thinking is going to be the vibes in Indianapolis next year? Uh, regarding this is it going to be I mean like what what should we expect as basketball fans 
What you can expect is for Indianapolis to put on a show. The, everything they do is, uh, is first class. Everything, the way in which they host and leave it to be a memorable experience um, is first rate. What I mean by that, for example, is maybe the way in which players are brought in. Uh, maybe, for example, we've seen, I think, in the college football title game, they've had a pace car be part of the police escort from the airport. That's a unique thing no one else is going to do. Um, for example, they started uh, the z- a zip line down one of our streets right downtown. That was for a fan interactive area. Um, that, that was a tall task, but they executed brilliantly. That was really good. There's several things that, um, because Indianapolis hosted the Super Bowl in 2012. And right. so there's the thing that they've done better than I think most places is they, they, there's a standard that needs to be met and then they far exceed it. Um, just kind of the little things that they do go above and beyond. The other thing I think is um, it's all about the people. So I think one thing that I thought was sorely lacking in Chicago was finding help, was finding someone with a bright neon green hat saying, ask me your question. Um, and the organization for events and those sorts of things. I think that will be incredibly well done um, by everyone here in this city. Um, and then the best thing, and this is just kind of the city setup, not necessarily people, is you can walk everywhere. I think I took 10 lift rides all over downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. Visitors can fly in, um, take a, a lift ride right downtown to their hotel, and if they don't want to, they don't have to leave a half-mile radius assuming they get a decent hotel, and they're yeah. done. And that is incredibly helpful. It's probably going to be 30 to 45 degrees. That's not, not bad at all, excuse me. And I think they can easily handle that. You, you have all kinds of steakhouses. You have a big convention center. And a lot of it is connected indoors. So I think it, the easiness and efficiency in the first-class production of it, that to me is what's going to stand out. Awesome. Uh, I agree with a lot of the things you said about how close, like, I just went down there for the first time in my entire life uh, two weekends ago. What brought saw, you here? Um, the Pacers. Okay, excellent. <laughs> in love with them, man. Um, so, and but you're uh, living in New York? Is that right? Yeah. yeah so, so how does that come to be? Because if anything, <laughs> that'd be the one team that would absolutely hate the Pacers, right? Because the rivalry is back in the 90s. I was a big, when I was growing up, I, uh, I was a big Paul George guy. And then Paul kind of left us and... And then I was just so stuck to India as a whole and just the, 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 the culture. You know what I mean? Like, we grow basketball together, um, the mentality, like the team culture. Wow, so that slogan actually worked. I hate, it actually, I hate actually worked. Really? So I make fun of it. But, yeah, I think it's it, not as bad as gold – what is it? Blue-collar gold swagger. Okay, all right. That was really bad. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just – I agree with everything you said about the class of the city, uh, the hospitality. I – I can't, everybody that asked me how my trip was and the, the number one thing I say is the hospitality of the of the people down there and how helpful they were and you know all the all the stuff that that comes together that isn't the actual basketball game was really important to me and it was going down to breakfast in the morning and and seeing Jeremy Lamb and talking with him for a few minutes or just stuff like that where if you go to another mainstream city like that you, you can't get that so that was something that was really valuable to me and I can't wait to see uh, how they how they handle next year? I'm super excited for that. Um, we'll talk a little Pacers too. Uh, I know that there's so much going on with us right now. We're coming off a six game losing streak, but then we had the win before the break against the Bucks. Um, what do you see for this team in the second half? What do you see for Victor uh, and just this whole team moving forward? 
Uh, are they somebody that uh, the league should be worried about going into the playoffs, or should we look forward to more next year and say, all right, maybe we need to make some tweaks on adjustments to the lineup? Um, maybe people like Batatza need to get going, or do we need to? Is this our time right now? I think right now, Joey, the, the experience, the, the point of these final, what, 27 games is to figure out exactly what they have and what they'll look like moving forward. Um, because, what, for the final two games before the break is where we finally saw an entirely healthy lineup. So we need to see, is, is Domas and Miles, is that something that they can roll with moving forward? Do they need to now with Goga? And maybe they need to get him more time or not and see how he develops. Because I, I think he would be much... Um, more, he would be much further along in this process, obviously, if he was playing more, but it's just hard to justify it right now when you have those two guys. And how about him? He spent, by the way, the all-star break in your city in New York. Um, he, his girlfriend had to get his visa, his, her visa. So uh, that didn't oh, seem boy. like the most appealing place to be spending a, a week away. But n- nonetheless, um, the other thing is, is Victor. I think he's got to continue to rebuild that confidence a little bit within himself especially with his shot and in terms of he needs to figure out what the right balance is for him in terms of taking a shot and playing off everyone else because they won that last game when he only fired up seven shots and made five of them. Previously, he had thrown up stuff like 14, 15, 16. Right. Um, and, and so I think it's going to be more towards the middle, maybe maybe more like 10 to 12 shots per game. Now, no minutes restriction on him moving forwards, so that's helpful. And I think we can stop talking about all all that other um, stuff in terms of, you know, how do you recover after this game and those sorts of things. <laughs> now it's just now it's treat him like normal for the most part. Right. He's going to yeah. have some rust. But I think this this is why the timing of his return was so good. I liked it. The fact that he was able to come back for what, seven, seven games, get then a week to work on his game and shake more rust off and now go full straight steam ahead for these final eight weeks here um realistically i think they're probably settled in that five or six spot um they could flip back and forth with philly unless miami which has a young roster kind of starts to slide away i don't see them making a push for the you know two or three seed especially after the way they handled that that run before break losing six in a row that really ruined i think any chance they had at making making a push higher in the standings you don't want to match up against the bucks or the raptors in the first first round there that's what you're obviously trying to avoid but for me it's about figuring out where they are in the future for Vic to settle in and then I think thirdly it would be figure out those bigs and whether it's feasible to roll with it and spend 40 million dollars a year on two bigs or do you move one do you sell high with Domas or do you move on for miles and roll with Domas who has just been playing amazingly well oh man it's so tough uh just because Miles has taken such a like a cut in his in his just his action and his role this year. He's just adjusted so well, and I love watching them play together, like him and him and Domas, and it just hurts. But see, um, I think it's tough sometimes to watch them play together, just because it's tough because Miles needs to protect the rim, but he's better right. off depending the defending the pick and roll than Domas. Domas is getting better at straight up not as good defending pick and roll. And so they're not exactly the opposites. And in doing so, they limit the other player from maximizing their ability. That's, so and that's I find what it I difficult with, yeah. to watch sometimes. It's just tough because we, we know that like Miles has the three-point shot, the whole arsenal, and we never get to see it on full display just because 
you know, of, of where he has to play on the floor. And if he's do it, does he have a post game? Like, I think he has a good post game, but like, will we ever find out? Who I think knows? he has a decent post game, but he's better playing around the perimeter like he it's, has been and shooting more threes. The trouble I see for him with all that is he's getting less of the pick and pop type plays that he did last year because now being played at um, there, he's kind of moving to the short corner or spaced out to the corner mm. and it's Domas playing the pick and pop game. And so yeah. that shot that he used to get, he's no longer getting or not nearly with the, the same type of frequency. Right. I don't know. We'll have to see how it goes moving forward. It's, it's tough. I love them all as, as individual players. It's just tough. to. I don't want to see one go, but we also want to see what's best for the team. Um, just one thing, uh, like I said, we're a New York uh, podcast here, and most of the majority of the people who listen, um, if I can't convert them to Pacerism or Pacerism, um, is their Knicks fans. Uh, give me your thoughts, Scott, on what, it, what, like, what do you see coming from New York? Uh, what's your thoughts on New York basketball as a reporter? Uh, what's that, that whole Knicks situation? What's going on? I see it as such a wasted opportunity. Because if that was a stable franchise with a good culture and a decent owner, I think you'd see players flock to that franchise. But, for example, I think as long as the money was similar or even close, the Knicks are a franchise I am completely avoiding at this point because of James Dolan, because of the embarrassing decisions, because I don't know what coach I'm playing for, because there's been such a turnover there. Um, they've easily been the the most turnover prone the most embarrassing franchise I think since the Sacramento Kings and maybe next to the Phoenix Suns right now and that's saying something because what the Forbes valued them at over four billion dollars they're easily a a tremendously um valued company they're obviously have a lot of value with sports fans and around the world not just the country but it's just bonehead decision after bonehead decision that they can't get out of their own way. And so it's unfortunate to break down their basketball is simply a waste of time at this point. What you can't talk about is the, I think the wasted resources, they added all this cap space and they, they blew it and didn't get any um, maximize. They weren't able to maximize their value like they should have by maybe taking on a bad contract like Andre Godala, but also getting a first round pick. It's just countless poor decisions, Joey that just are so frustrating um, that it's kind of laughable at this point more than anything. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm praying for all the Knicks fans. I'm just happy I'm a Pacers fan. Uh, last question for you, and this is just something to clear, help clear my mind and kind of put me to bed tonight. Is Nate McMillan the answer for the Pacers' future, Scott, or is should we be looking to move in different directions? Because I keep hearing from Pacers' Twitter all these different things of fire Nate, keep Nate, we love Nate, we hate Nate. What, what do you think? So I think that's a fair question, but not for that last point you just made, because that that stuff to me is all laughable when the Pacers lose, maybe make one decision that's awful down the stretch. And that's immediately what I get as a response on Twitter. Um, I I don't know what it is, but a a lot of people, that's the first thing they want to throw out there after a a losing streak or or a just a loss. um, Simply, I, I think he certainly I know he could improve. Um, in his late game play calls, maybe his out of bounds timeouts, um, how he handles those ATO situations. But as a whole, I think he is probably, I don't know, I don't have my list in front of me, so to speak, but he's probably a top 15 coach in this league. Um, I think this team very much reflects their coach and his personality. They're very calm, they're very cool and, and collective, to use his three C's term. And 
I think at times, yeah, they need to be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more feisty. But as a whole, I think he's done a really good job, especially these last two years, navigating a a very difficult situation with your star play go, player going down. They still make the playoffs. Now they got swept, and maybe um, that's where you would have liked to at least see them steer um steer into one win, for example. But a lot of that comes down to personnel. This year, I think he finally has a good group in terms of personnel with enough playmaking and, and shooters as well that I think they should have a serious chance. I think they should have a serious chance to win a series at least because they have to. That's the one thing that he and this group under him has yet to do. They've yet to advance past that first round. So if you want to add another thing to watch here in these final four weeks, uh, of these final eight weeks, I should say, of basketball, is can the Pacers, not only will they get to the playoffs, but can they make some noise? Can they get people excited? Can they make a prolonged run of some kind? This is not a contending team, a, a championship-caliber type roster. They wouldn't beat the Bucks if they reached the conference finals. But I, that doesn't mean, in my mind, that they, they don't have the talent, they don't have the, the, the abilities to come together and perhaps reach that level. Um, down the road, and that's what this this period is all about finding out. But a long-winded way of saying I like where Nate's headed, but I think at the end of the season, that's certainly something I would be considering. Okay. I I agree with that. I think there's a lot of things to look forward to as a Pacers fan. Once again, everybody, uh, Pacers reporter for The Athletic, make sure you're reading all his stuff. Uh, give his uh, podcast a listen. It is The Fieldhouse Files, and give him a follow on Twitter, too. It's at Scott Agnes, at S-C-O-T-T-A-G-N-E-S-S. Scott, um, thank you so much again, man. Uh, I hope to get you on the show again soon, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up. All right, good deal, Joey. Thanks for having me on.